Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Hold Your Fire, a podcast by the International Crisis Group. I'm Richard Atwood, and today we're going to talk about the coup in Burkina Faso. Gunfire erupted early on Sunday when soldiers took control of a major military barracks in the capital. Some civilian protesters rallied to support the military intervention. Burkina Faso's armed forces have taken to national television to announce an end to President Rokkabore's rule. They say they've suspended the constitution, dissolved the government and closed the borders as well. We've made this decision solely to put our country back on the right track and to bring our forces together to fight for the territorial integrity of our country, the recovery of our country and the sovereignty of our country. That was Lieutenant Colonel Paul Henri Sandogo Damiba, who heads the junta that now holds power. He says he's going to tackle the rampant violence that's spread across much of the Burkina countryside over the past few years. Damiba's power grab follows months of unrest in the capital and anger in the military at what soldiers see as former President Rokkabore's inept efforts to battle Islamist militancy. The tipping point was an attack by jihadists that killed about 50 soldiers in the northern town of Inata last November. Fears of coups are currently high in West and Central Africa. In the last 18 months, there have been four, including two in Mali alone. There, a military junta first seized power in 2020 to end what they said was corruption and weak leadership. In neighbouring Guinea, the democratically elected president, Alpha Conde, was also deposed by the military last year. He too was accused of corruption. Chad also saw a coup of sorts. The son of President Idris Deby seized power after his father was killed on the battlefield. My appeal is for the armies of these countries to assume their professional role armies to protect their countries and re-establish democratic institutions. Burkina Faso is the fifth country in Africa, the third in the Sahel over the last year or so, to fall victim to a military seizure of power. We just heard UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres calling on generals to restore constitutional order and return power to civilians. 
Over the past decade in Africa, the number of coups had declined. In Burkina itself, the last coup attempt in 2015 failed. This recent spate of power grabs upends that trend. So what's next for Burkina? And does this latest seizure of power, coming after several other coups in Africa, herald a dangerous new playbook for soldiers upset at their civilian leaders? To talk about all this, I'm joined by Ronaldo Dupin, who's Crisis Group's Deputy Africa Director. He oversees much of our Francophone work on the continent. Ronaldo, welcome on. Oh, hello, Richard, and uh, thanks for having me on. So, Ronaldo, could you start by telling us something about sort of what's happening now in Ouagadougou since the military takeover? Well, uh, first of all, the, the city is quiet, and today was perhaps the first step of uh, the new regime, because uh, the head of the new regime, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Damiba, met uh, with all uh, the officers at the heads of the different parts of the army uh, and start uh, a, a kind of consultation and see uh, what he can do, where he's going uh, and what he's going to do to uh, quickly reform the army and get better results in terms of security for the country. And give us a bit of background about what has motivated Damiba and other soldiers who overthrew President Kabore. The general security situation in the country uh, is the key element to understand this situation, and especially one event that happened on the 14th November 2021. At this date, uh, 53 uh, members of the gendarmerie uh, were killed in one single attack in uh, the northern city of Inata. It was a massive blow for the army. Uh, the highest death toll uh, uh, ever in one single attack. And to have uh, uh, an idea of this figure of 53, uh, you need to know that between uh, 1960 and 2015, uh, only 200 or 250 uh, soldiers were killed. So in one day, you had the quarter of the soldiers that were killed in uh, more than 50 years. And then what followed uh, was also uh, difficult to swallow for the army and a large part of the population. Uh, Revelations were made two or three days after this uh, uh, tragic event about the uh, terrible situation of the the soldiers on the front. Uh, And we learned that messages have been sent by the unit of the uh, uh, 53 uh, people that got killed. Uh, and the message was, was, we are starving. We don't have anything to eat. And then other stories uh, came out, like uh, soldiers poaching some goats in the bush to feed themselves. And the, the population and the army was absolutely scandalized and then it was very difficult for President Cabaret uh, to stay uh, in his seat. And tell us a little bit then about uh, Damiba, the coup leader. From what I understand, I mean, Cabaret, since the Inata attacks, Cabaret had appointed him to a more senior position in a way to sort of stave off military anger, right? Yeah, apparently, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Damiba has an ability to uh, navigate between the different part of the army and his role, for instance, in the coup of 2015 uh, is not clear. And he managed to uh, stay friends with both camps. 
with the camp of the former president Compore supporter and with the new regime with Caboret. To tell a, a little bit more about him, he's a very well-educated man. Uh, he attended the best uh, military college uh, in West Africa, Pritane Militaire of Kadiogo, and then studied in Paris, and recently even published a very serious book on uh, West African armies and terrorism. Uh, so he's not uh, coming from the low-level ranks of the army. He's someone with a, a certain uh, uh, education and with a kind of uh, popularity within the ranks. And is there any sign that Damibo is going to share power with civilians? Has he laid out any transition plans? I think the first uh, mission will be to unify the army and to bring to the people a better uh, security answer. I think he has ideas for the army. They want to change some people, that they, uh, they, they want also to uh, 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 lift up the morale of the troops uh, by, for instance, uh, giving more support to the family of wounded soldiers, of dead soldiers, uh, that they want permanent units in the region, and not like today, people picked up uh, at random and sent with no experience of the battlefield in the difficult part of the country. So he has ideas, he will try to uh, implement them, and then, obviously, uh, he can't run the country only with people from the army. So he will, like, uh, like in Guinea, for instance, he will be obliged to uh, find some civilians uh, with skills in uh, managing public affairs that could help him. Uh, it's unlikely to see uh, the former uh, Caboret uh, president people joining him, but it's likely to see uh, people from the, the former regime to uh, come back Uh, and to help him. I mean, is it going to be easy for him to draw in sort of other civilian leaders? I know that the coup followed mass street protests, a lot of popular anger at the direction the country was going. But sort of what is the mood in general about what Damiba and his cohort have just done? I think finding people, because power is sweet, uh, won't be difficult. Uh, what will be difficult is to curb the, 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 the security situation. And I think he has uh, an open window of popularity that won't last for long. I mean, if he d does not have result in eight months, 12 months, then he will face a, a, a new uh, a, a round of street protests and people will be disappointed. At the moment, uh, in the street of Ogadougou, uh, people are celebrating him and they have great hope that uh, he is going to uh, give a little bit more peaceful uh, situation, which is, according to the, the global security situation in the country, very difficult. Now, uh, six to seven regions are uh, under, not the control, but under the action of very vicious uh, armed groups. Uh, and that you have also a lot of armed militias that are uh, operating on their own and not obeying to anyone. Why has the government shouldered so much of public anger rather than the military about the rising insecurity and about, from what I understand, there's a lot of anger at, at corruption within the military itself? Certainly because President Caboret uh, was... Um, Uh, good at managing uh, public affairs, good at managing the economy, 
but absolutely unskilled and unprepared to manage the army. So he made some uh, choices that uh, years after years undermine and uh, create new division within the army. He changed uh, permanently the top of the army. Uh, he appointed people that uh, were his friend, uh, but that didn't have the, the real skills to uh, fight or to uh, uh, manage uh, troops. And basically, uh, he's not a, a, a man uh, really interested in military affairs. Uh, he's more a politician and uh, he's a banker by trade but not at all someone interested in army, warfare, uh, guns, and so on. And so tell us a little bit more about the situation across the Burkinabe countryside, because this is fairly new that Burkina is suffering this degree of insecurity. What does this look like for people living in those areas? And why has it fueled such a lot of anger in, in the capital itself? The situation is finally kind of a snowball effect. Uh, I mean, you, you had at the beginning, uh, certainly, uh, groups coming from outside, from Mali and from Niger. Uh, then they managed to recruit uh, some Burkinabé. Then the army did wrong by attacking uh, or brutalizing the people. Then it created more adhesion for the groups. And uh, after uh, seven years, uh, we have this situation where now uh, 10 million of people, half of the population of the country, lives in permanent insecurity. It means that uh, you can't go to your work if you are a farmer. You can't go to your work if you are a fisherman. Uh, it's difficult if you are a civil servant uh, sometimes to do missions for the state. Uh, you can't go to a wedding. You can't go visit your uncle. You have a lot of landmines. Uh, uh, on the, the, the country roads. And it's very risky uh, to uh, take your motorcycle, which is the main mean of, uh, uh, of transport in the countryside. Uh, and also those groups are now controlling large part of territory. And you, you don't know if you, you leave your home uh, uh, in the morning, if you won't bump into a, a roadblock uh, with those guys. And uh, they can kill you or they can abduct you or... Well, they can do whatever they want. There is no, uh, no law anymore. Uh, this is not the only uh, factor of violence. Jihadi armed groups are not the only uh, perpetrators of violence. Uh, you have the army, who is harsh on civilians, and you have now uh, intercommunal militias that are also sometimes very hard on people they don't like or people they see as a potential enemy or as a potential member or suspected member of armed groups. And we'll talk in a moment about the militias, but can you say more about the Islamist militants and how have they sort of spread over recent years and what are their connections to the Al-Qaeda and ISIS-linked militants in Mali and Niger? It started in the northwest of the country in 2015 with a, a, a local group that has links uh, with a Malian group. So this local group uh, on Saroul uh, has links with the Katiba Masina uh, in Mali. Uh, it was very local and very located in the Sum, uh, which is the region uh, in the northwest of the country that is uh, bordering Mali. And then the groups, and Jenim uh, uh, in particular, uh, was very uh, agile and, uh, and very smart 
uh, to capture uh, the grievances of the people in the countryside against the state. And just to be clear, the Ansarul Islam, the Burkina group with its origins in the north in Sum, had links to the Katiba Masina, which was in turn a group in central Mali that's now part of the Jamiat Najratul Islam Wal Muslimin, or Janim, which is the Al-Qaeda-linked coalition that operates across a lot of Mali and parts of Niger. Yeah, they were very good at catching and recruiting, catching the grievances of the people against the state, the absence or the lack of public services, the, the, the action of the police and the army uh, that was not really protecting the population, but living on that population. And we have a lot of testimony and people saying that they, that, that they are not even Muslims at the beginning and they joined the groups. And it's important to have this in mind. I mean, the groups are very good politicians as well. They are not only uh, very good fighters, but they are very good at understanding uh, why the people are angry and to exploit this uh, anger that was there uh, uh, before Caboret, by the way. And then alongside the militants, you also have a lot of self-defense militias, communal defense groups, that the army, the state, has encouraged the formation of or armed that are themselves then fighting Islamists, but often making the security situation worse, preying on the local population. Do you want to say something about the militias? Yeah, they, they are a very important uh, actor in uh, Burkina. First of all, they uh, did not appear with, uh, with terrorism. They were there before. Uh, and the idea of uh, having some uh, 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 civilians in arms or civilians fighting uh, for the states was at the beginning only a matter of policing. And it began in uh, 2003 when the, the Comparis regime uh, realized that the, the, the police was not enough uh, to guarantee the security of the people in rural areas and to fight gangs. Uh, and so he, he started to think to a way uh, to empower some civilians and at the beginning just as informant of the police uh, and started to rely in the West uh, on a, a group, the Dozos, the traditional hunter. In the, the, the years 2013, 2014 and 2015, another group uh, was launched uh, by the people who were fed up with the incapacity of the police to fight criminality. And this group is called the Colweogo, the, the watchman of the bush. Uh, and those, this group started to carry guns to have a bigger implication in the fight against criminality. And the regime chose to uh, empower more those people and to send them against uh, the so-called terrorists. They legalized them and created a new group of civilians called uh, uh, Volunteers for the Defense of the Fatherland, the VDPs, give them uh, guns. And when we are talking about guns there, we are talking about assault rifle and war guns, not only uh, hunting rifles, and send them uh, uh, at the first line of the front to fight the jihadis uh, and to plug the holes of the army so, Ronaldo, uh, how should we see what's happening in much of North and Eastern Burkina? Violence killed, what, 
2,000 people last year. It's displaced about 1.5 million in a country of only 20 million. It's left much of the countryside in turmoil. But how should we see it? It's one jihadist insurgency fighting the army and state-backed militias, or it's more a bunch of different, mostly Islamist militias, some with ties to each other, with loose ties to militants in Mali and Niger, that's enmeshed in a whole array of local conflicts over land and, and, and other resources. I think you, your, your, your second option uh, is the closest to the reality. We have a kind of burst and fragmentation of the violence that is very difficult now to map uh, who is against who. And some people now are talking about uh, a civilian conflict, a civil war. But not a civil war that uh, is uh, uh, opposing two sides, but a civil war that is opposing many sides. And the difficulty of re-establishing the security uh, in this country is about that. It's about how you can make sure uh, that uh, I don't know how many groups. They are very difficult to count. They are moving. Uh, they are not formal. Uh, how can you make sure that you fight all of this at the same time? Uh, and it's also a question for negotiations. Uh, who are you negotiating with? It's easy to negotiate with uh, one side, but it's very difficult to negotiate with so many sides. And if we look at this militant expansion across Burkina, obviously part of it relates to the crisis in Mali in 2012-2013 when jihadists seized towns in northern Mali before being then ousted by the, the, the French and then militancy sort of spread to central Mali, it's now spread into Burkina. So that's obviously part of the story. But how much should we view this as part of a, a, a transition from a sort of post-Blaise Campoire era, you know, a gradual disintegration of not only the state, but also the sort of informal systems that Campoire had to keep the countryside reasonably peaceful? First of all, I think the Campoire regime was uh, already in control of a disintegrating state by the year 2010-2011. And the mutinies of 2011 were a sign that his system of patronage that was not based on institutions, but based on the relation he has uh, with a lot of people everywhere in the country that were faithful to him, uh, 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 finally and slowly collapsed between 2010 and October 2014 when he was ousted. These were mutinies within the army, part of the build-up to his overthrow. Yeah, and, and, and then a demonstration of various segment, important segment of, of the society like the justice, like uh, the police, uh, like the transport sector that is very economically uh, important in the country. Uh, so seeing Compore as the a guarantee of stability is partly wrong. Uh, now, what is the legacy of Compore? I mean, he stayed 27 years in charge. So everyone now in the, 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 the power apparatus, the army or the politics, the administration, has something uh, 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 that he owes to Compore. And the former president, Cabore, was a pure Compore uh, man. And uh, Damiba, the new ruler, uh, was part of the uh, Regiment de Sécurité Présidentielle, which was the, the special unit that was there to protect Compore's regime. Uh, and so, well, the, 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 the shadow of Compore is still there on that country. 
So the 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 coup now, Caboire's uh, overthrow. Should we see this as a may seem odd to say this when you, when as you say the uh, there's no united insurrection, you know it's a bunch of different armed groups. But is is it a victory for for militants? I think it is. I think it is an indirect victory because uh, by you know imposing uh, a, a massive pressure on the rural areas, they manage to shake the establishment in the capital and they manage to get rid of the institution that are uh, uh, the ones that were in place last week. Uh, I mean, uh, Caboret is an elected president and uh, institution in Burkina were working quite well. Uh, you, you had a, a national assembly uh, that was a real Uh, arena for debate. Uh, you had uh, an elected president after uh, an election that was uh, transparent and fair. You had a very good representation of people within the National Assembly. But all this violence in the rural areas managed to destabilize the institution and the, the political life in the central uh, city of Ouagadougou. And so what are the regional implications of the, uh, of the coup? Well, it, first of all, it means uh, a lot for the regional institution. Uh, that was not before this coup in a good shape. Uh, it's the ECOWAS uh, that uh, unified the region in a, a body of 15 countries. And a few weeks ago, uh, the ECOWAS uh, tried uh, to stop this contagion of coup uh, by imposing to Mali very, very harsh uh, sanctions. It didn't have the required effect because uh, a few weeks after this, you uh, have this coup now uh, in Burkina. And it will be very difficult for ECOWAS now uh, to show itself as a, a regional body that is able to keep uh, order uh, in the region. Secondly, it's possible to have a kind of triangle or axis of military regime uh, within the region. Uh, one in Bamako, the other one in Conakry, and the third one in Ouagadougou. It will be uh, very interesting to see how military regime uh, uh, cooperate, uh, and especially cooperate, uh, to stand against a potential new uh, ECOWAS sanction. Uh, and it's also for the international community uh, a question uh, how you work uh, with uh, uh, unelected regime how you keep the security architect architecture as it is today, uh, and especially the G5, it's complicated the position of France, because France now is, uh, is obliged to work with military regime in the Sahel, uh, and they started to work with elected regime, so it's not the same kind of work. And perhaps it's a, a, a good uh, entry door for the Russian because uh, uh, a regime in need of security, like the Burkina Bay regime at the moment, could be seduced by a Russian proposal that is based on a very strong uh, fist. Yeah, let's talk about the, the Russians in a moment. But for France, how should it respond to the fact that now of five members of the G5 Sahel, three have governments that have come to power, in essence, through military takeovers? It's very difficult to say, but uh, 
Uh, France is used to work with uh, at least one of those military regimes, which is the Chadian one. But for France, I think the question is, uh, is that a part of the population now uh, is disappointed, uh, at, at the least, and uh, doesn't want uh, France anymore as the partner or the security partner for their country. And those regimes uh, are relying on, uh, at least in urban areas, on popular support. So it's very difficult for them to keep the same relation with Paris. The, the thing is, uh, when the French uh, came in the Sahel in uh, 2013, uh, they sent a message of, uh, of hope, not to say a message of victory. They pledged a lot. And sometimes declaration of victory makes you the hostage to fortune. And they did not really deliver uh, something that uh, please the people because the security situation uh, is catastrophic. And so perhaps they want to uh, have a new experience with uh, another partner. Uh, and if the population is uh, uh, backing this, this partner or is the population is asking, flagging Russian flags uh, in the streets, the regime in place in Wagan, in Bamako, will have uh, difficulties to say no, because it's their supporters. Uh, and you have also a population that is really desperate and that believe uh, strongly that a military regime is better or can bring a better offer for security than an elected civilian one, which is not the case at the moment. If you look at uh, what Goita is doing in Mali, he doesn't really have better results than the previous regime. So on Russia, you now have the Wagner Group. We talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago, a Russian security company, which is widely assumed to have close ties to the Kremlin, although the head of Wagner denies that. It's deploying mercenaries to fight in Mali, in other places. But surely it's unlikely that Russian mercenaries are going to be able to defeat jihadist militants across the Sahel, where national armies and the French have failed. Yeah, I mean, I quote uh, the example of, uh, of Goita in, uh, in Mali, but uh, I can also uh, quote the example of uh, uh, Wagner in uh, Central African Republic. At the moment, uh, they pushed the rebellions uh, out of the capital, but the rebellions are still existing and they are not defeated uh, and they are still fighting. So uh, it's, uh, it's the proof that Wagner is not best equipped to guarantee security of the people that the French or the local armies. So last year we saw a sharp uptick in the number of coups across the continent. I mean, we talked about Guinea, we talked about Mali, Burkina Faso, Chad, plus a coup in Sudan. Over previous decades, the African Union, other regional bodies had sort of gradually managed to strengthen norms against military power grabs, against what they call unconstitutional changes of government. But is that norm gradually eroding? Uh, first of all, the reasons for the coup in West Africa are not the same. I mean, uh, in Guinea, it was linked to an individual, to the very uh, strange uh, management and governance of Alpha Condé, and also of the condition of his re-election. In Mali, it was triggered by uh, a weak election, legislative election, uh, 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 triggered a lot of protests, and those protests uh, led to the coup. And in Burkina, it's mainly the security. I mean, in Mali, 
you don't think there was the rigged election, but wasn't part of the story in Mali also the government's failure to quell a, a jihadist rebellion across much of the, the north? It was part of the story, yes. Uh, but uh, it was not the only part of the story. And I think in Burkina, it's the main part. It's uh, 90% of the story. In Mali, it's, I, I, I don't think it's that uh, high. And in Guinea, uh, it was not a security problem. It was, a, well, first of all, a human rights problem because uh, Conde jailed uh, a lot of a lot of people after and before his uh, election. And in Sudan, well, Richard, you know better than me, Sudan. Perhaps you can uh, tell our listeners what triggered the coup in Sudan. I don't know if I know better than you, but I mean, I, I, you know, I think as we've talked about on the podcast before, it relates to the military not wanting to give up their control over the economy, worried about uh, potentially being held accountable for some of the things that happened during the revolution and before, during the long rule of Omar al-Bashir. And Chad, it's really about the military and Debbie's son making sure that power largely stayed within the same circles even after uh, Idris Debbie's death. Yeah. Uh, in West Africa, perhaps you have one common point, which is uh, the, the deception of what was standing for democracy. You can see that uh, in Guinea, in Burkina, and in, ba- in, in Bamako, in Mali, uh, the, 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 there were no protests against the coup. On the contrary, uh, people celebrate the coup. And so not only that uh, AU and the ECOWAS did not manage to keep this standard of uh, no anti-constitutional change of power, is also that they did not manage to uh, implement uh, democracy in those countries or to uh, make sure that the people will make a big difference between what it is uh, about living under a democratic rule and what it is about living under a military regime. And today, for someone that lives in, uh, in Bamako, the difference... Uh, between his condition of living today under Goita's regime and his condition of living uh, under uh, Ibeka regime, uh, the elected president, uh, it's not obvious. I mean, the difference is not huge. And then, you know, the attachment of the people to this uh, democratic principle, uh, in a way, and especially the youth, uh, vanished. Uh, And this is worrying. And how much should we see this as a new sort of playbook that military officials who don't like the direction a country is going in seize power, change the government, find some more pliant civilian leaders to share power with, encourage regional organisations, Western governments, the UN to move on to accept the new reality and set the country in, you know, what they think is a different direction that largely ends up being much the same. How much should we see this as the entrenchment of a a, a sort of playbook for discontent within the military? I think it's it's a trend. And the question is, uh, in West Africa, is uh, who is next? Uh, And another factor is that you have societies where now sometime, and it's the case in Burkina, the best educated segment of the society among the army. The rest of the educated people of the new generation, uh, most of them are working for uh, well international companies or international institutions. Uh, and so it's very difficult to have 
the guarantee uh, of uh, an elected power with civilian representative when those civilians are not anymore interested in politics and uh, that the uh, educated part of the society uh, is uh, abroad or uh, is doing something else. And so the, 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 those people from the army with, like uh, Daniba, a very high level of education, well, are also there uh, because uh, they are uh, plugging the hole. They are uh, occupying the vacuum. Uh, and you have a crisis of representation of the political uh, elite uh, and who is able to rule that is as massive as it is in other parts of the world. How should Western leaders see this, what appears to be trend of increasing coups across, across the continent? I mean, is there anything outside powers can do to sort of reinforce the African Union, regional organizations, or help deter further coups? The stronger response is dangerous because uh, if you, uh, you, you impose sanction on a country like Burkina that is already, uh, already fragile, you fragilize uh, it uh, more. Uh, because you, you, you push it to, uh, to a radical position towards the West, uh, meaning uh, calling for Wagner, uh, and you reinforce this axis of military regime and the rapprochement between the current junta in, uh, in Waga and Goita uh, and Dumbuya in Guinea. There isn't a danger, though, of if Western leaders, if others sort of accept a coup too quickly, and just move on, you're not creating incentives for potential coup mongers in other countries? You're not helping sort of entrench this playbook that we talked about earlier? Yes, surely, but it's very difficult, especially for uh, uh, regimes that has a support of a part of the population, and usually uh, uh, the one that has a voice, which is the urban youth. It's perhaps easier to impose... Uh, against a regime uh, that are uh, not supported by their population. But in West Africa, what are you doing? You are going uh, against the regime, but also against the population that's supporting this regime. And then you fuel uh, 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 more uh, anti-Western uh, feeling uh, within the population. And so can I push, Ronaldo, can I just push a little bit more on that? So how should then, whether it's, you know, whether it's France, whether it's the European Union... How should they navigate this dilemma, as you say, push too hard and you're potentially alienating further a leader that has a lot of popular support and other options in terms of looking for looking at Russia, but don't push enough or don't don't respond enough. And you're potentially then creating again incentives for other coups elsewhere. What's what's the balance that people should strike? I think the, the, the one option is to uh, uh, make a good choice when uh, it comes to choose who is the pusher. And in the case of Burkina, if it's France, it will be rejected. If it's the EU, uh, the EU is, is not all in the country. And it's the, the members from the Northern Europe, uh, they have a very good record uh, in Burkina because they uh, really did a, a massive job in development. So the Netherlands, uh, Denmark, Scandinavian countries. Uh, but if it's France, uh, it will be rejected, even by the regime for its own political surviving, because 
at the moment uh, criticizing France is the guarantee that you will be supported by the street. So EU is better placed to do that. Uh, and among the EU, uh, the, the, the countries that helped uh, uh, all along uh, the years uh, to uh, you know, bring some uh, health centers in, uh, uh, in villages to uh, uh, you know, feed people when they were starving, those countries uh, can have a say. But France is at the moment not the one that should speak. So let's end on Burkina. How do you see things now unfolding for Damiba? Does the army stand any hope of getting a grip on violence uh, across the countryside? Well, we, you, I think he will have, uh, uh, and, and people in Burkina, including politicians, including the civil society, uh, including the other part of the army, uh, will give him a, a go and a chance. And uh, if in a, a year he doesn't have result, then the society uh, will be in trouble again. Uh, it could be a counter-coup. Uh, it could be a, a, a popular insurrection. Uh, you have a country that in terms of, uh, of civil society, uh, political parties, trade unions uh, and protestation that is very organized. So uh, it's... It's a country that uh, doesn't give you uh, a, a lot of time to get result, and that is very well organized uh, to protest and to uh, to push out uh, people that don't really achieve when they are in charge. Ronaldo, thanks so much for coming on. Okay, thank you, Richard. Hold Your Fire is a production of the International Crisis Group. I'm Richard Atwood. You can find all of our work, including on Burkina Faso, we'll have a piece out this or next week on The Coup, on our website, crisisgroup.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Crisis Group. Thanks, of course, to our producers, Sam Mendick and Kevin Murphy. Thanks to Finn Johnson, who helps out with production. And thank you, as ever, to all our listeners. If you have any questions or comments feel free to reach out on podcasts at crisisgroup.org. If you like the show, please do leave us a positive rating or review. And I hope you'll join us again next week. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.